0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 talk. Tech 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 tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. (laughs) Greetings and appropriate salutations, folks. It's another gorgeous summer day here in Sunny Dubbo, and I can't think of a better way to spend it than sitting a metre and a half away from my good friend and tech talking boffin Matthew Dickerson. How's your week been, Matt, and what's been big in your week?
1: Yeah, we are one and a half metres away. Thank you for pointing that out to all our listeners out there. But uh, I'm a bit excited, James, because I can't help myself. I bought another EV. I just get excited <laughs> by a new EVs. You're a junkie. <laughs> I am, I am. So this is the fifth full electric vehicle I've owned so far. And so there's been a progression through those ones. So I had a Nissan Leaf back seven years ago. It was the first Nissan Leaf I bought. And they were pretty limited. The range of that was about 150 kilometres. It went zero to 100 hundred, about nine seconds, but it was a good little town run around. I really mm. enjoyed it for a good introduction to an electric vehicle. Since then, I've had a Tesla Model S, a Tesla Model 3, another Nissan Leaf, the newer version, which is much better range, much better acceleration. And this week, I just picked up a Hyundai Ionic 5. Ah, and I'm quite intrigued nice. by that because what I'm liking is the fact that Hyundai and some other more Stand or more common brands that are out there, Kia, for example, are bringing in vehicles that are designed not to be at the high end, like say Tesla, but are designed to be cars for everyone. And so I was keen to see the Ionic Five. I didn't actually. This is the modern world, James. I didn't actually drive it before I bought it, so I know you'd be horrified (laughs) by that because you like to sit in. Oh,
0: getting all jittery. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you just assumed it was going to be good.
1: I, well, I, no, not quite. I actually read some reviews and I looked at a whole lot of information about that. And it, it actually came down to, when I was trying to get a, a new one, it was between the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai Ionic 5. Now, both of those come out of effectively the same factory, just about Hyundai and Kia are uh, sisters or brothers in the manufacturing process. And I just went for the Ionic just for a couple of little reasons there. I thought it was just a little bit more practical for what I needed. But I'm impressed so far. And it is hard because when you've had a couple of Teslas, that is the benchmark. <laughs> they are setting the benchmark
0: across the world. But this is different. So like you're chasing the dragon here? I or, think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think he's
1: right. They are. Or every other manufacturer. But the good part about uh, what I would call a traditional manufacturer, and I suppose Hyundai is not that traditional, but manufacturers have been out there for a lot longer with petrol engine cars, is they'll be able to ramp up the volume, I think, much quicker than, say, a Tesla, who was learning everything from the beginning, Mm -hmm. although Tesla volumes are getting pretty good now as well. But when you get some of those mainstream brands and really start to get that volume ramping up, that's when it's really going to be exposed to everyone. And then prices are going to slowly start to come down and down and down. The other good thing, and I do talk about this a little bit, The Model S, I sold my Tesla Model S to buy the Hyundai Onyq. Did you
0: feel like a little piece of yourself was sort of disappearing as well?
1: Absolutely. I've checked in with the new owner about four or five (laughs) times so far. How's it going? Are you enjoying it? Is it doing this? Do you want some advice on that? So yes, I have been checking in on the owner. He lives 400 kilometres away, but I just want to check in a few times. But the interesting part there was when people buy a higher-end vehicle, they expect to lose a lot of value when they sell that car. So I'd owned that car for four years, had about Mm. 80,000 kilometres on it, and I lost about 35% of its new car price, which is not too bad in terms of yeah, how good. much you retain. And so I sold it for 65% of what I bought it for. If you, when people talk about it, you lose half the value when you drive out the door, you don't quite go that bad, but you do lose a certain amount of value of your car when you do drive out the door. But most people expect to lose 50, maybe even 60% of the value mm. of their car over a four-year period. In fact, when you go and lease a car, if you go to a bank and lease a car, they often won't give you much more than, a say, a 40% residual value at the end because they want a value of the car that's going to be somewhat around yeah. the same amount that the car is actually worth. So to have 65% after four years, to me, that gives you a bit of an indication of the strength of the second-hand market of EVs And I would suggest it would be the opposite almost if you bought that same sort of value car in petrol four years ago, what you get for it now, because people are trying to get out of their petrol cars. Yeah, they are. So you might get a 65% loss and maybe 35% residual rather than the other way around for an EV.
0: Goodness me. And how long ago did you say you um, bought that first LEAF? The first LEAF was 2015. So not that long ago. And the developments in that technology for Nissan LEAF alone uh, has been enormous. Just
1: in that one vehicle, absolutely right. But yeah, the the market's changing. I think at the moment we're up to 31 vehicles, EVs available here in Australia. And counting. uh, And counting, that's right. And there's a range of those. And we're not really getting exposed to the whole market around the nation because as we've vaguely mentioned somewhere before our government doesn't seem to get the hang of it Mm. and uh, i'm not sure if i mentioned i did actually have there was a a federal mp that i had a chat to the other day and i said have you ever driven an electric vehicle and he he hadn't despite the fact that the government at the last election was happy to bag out electric vehicles this particular one had never actually driven one anyway i said jump in one and take it for a drive and Five minutes later, we went, wow, I'm hooked. That's it. I'm, I'm convinced. We got it wrong at the last election. We need to change the tune.
0: There you go. And BYD's coming in as well too, Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, uh, They seem to um, be set to blow the market wide open. Oh, I
1: think so. I think that's right. And we have talked about the fact they're coming in, maybe that sub 40,000 with a SUV, maybe sub 30,000 with Mm. a hatchback style vehicle. So that's going to be quite incredible. And MG, I actually had a chat to South Sydney Rabbitohs, a couple of the staff just the other day, and they've been sponsored by MG this year. Now, MG, we know, are the number two EV seller in Australia behind Tesla. And they're pretty excited about their sponsorship. And of course, most of the executives are now driving MG vehicles, and they're quite impressed with them.
0: Very, very cool. Hmm. All right. Well, looking at the map here in front of me, I can confirm 100% that you were in the right place, folks, for the next half hour or so at least. Now, you can relax and let your mind wander with us as we bring you some news from the tech world. And I see that VR is set to mess with our heads a little more, for better or for worse. Uh, For those of you who've been waiting for airless tyres for your car, the good news is they're not too far away now. And we've got a cool story about an Aussie manufacturer who's set to make it big in the EV world. So let's get rolling with our first story today. They say that necessity breeds invention. And with the long-haul lockdown that people have endured over the past two years, many city dwellers have been confined to tight living spaces with little or no greenery. So it makes sense that some therapy in the form of indoor gardening has become much more common throughout the COVID lockdown period. And indoor gardening has had a bit of a modern makeover with technology coming to the rescue. Matthew, some colourful innovation right here, yes? How's your
1: green thumb, James? Are you a bit of a gardener <laughs> inside? or
0: we, we can kill plants pretty well <laughs> at our place. Um, no, we've got a couple of things growing really well, and even right. some fruit trees and stuff like that, but um, they're all outdoors. Yeah. Indoors, uh, we're, we're not green enough. Struggling a bit. Yeah, And I think that's right.
1: When people started to be in their house a lot more than they were ever before, they wanted to bring a bit of the outside in. And when you look at the stats, it's quite incredible. If you looked at the household plant sales in 2021, they were up. over 2020, Mm. but up 50% on 2019. So big increase there. And I didn't add any indoor plants to my house because I would have just killed them. So I don't know that would have actually <laughs> achieved a lot because I'm not much of a gardener. And you've got to pay too much attention to it and go back to I have got other stuff to do. Yeah, but
0: if you've got a bit of a yard, you can go for one or you can get your finger, uh, your toes in the in the grass and whatnot. Uh, but if you're in a city sort of apartment block, yeah, yeah, what do you do? I mean, uh, that, that greenery, I've, there's something in it, definitely for sure. I mean, you're having a bit of nature around you, uh, yeah. Now you're absolutely
1: spot on. So there is a technology solution, of course, James. We know that's going to be a technology. Solution. Fantastic. So when you put that plant inside now, there are a couple of different manufacturers. One's called GreenSense, Sense, uh, another one there or a couple of different ones there are out there doing something similar to what GreenSense is doing. And what they do is they put a little center, like a little spike, that goes into the soil next to the plant. It's got a transmitter at the top of it, some batteries in there obviously, and that transmits information about the soil health to your oh. phone so you can get alerts on your phone to tell you what you should do. Yeah, right. So typically the, the app is set up with a little green, amber and red light. So you just check the app and green, everything's good. I can just forget about that plant. It's doing what it needs to do. Amber, oh, I better go and check something. Now what you can check or what's testing are things like the moisture in the soil, too much or too little. And too much, you can actually drown a plant, which sounds crazy, I know.
0: Now that's happened. I've seen it. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> uh, nutrients in the soil, what nutrients are there for that particular plant. And you take a photo of the plant that will identify the type of plant, or you can actually put into the database or on the app what sort of plant it is, so they know, or the app knows the type of nutrients and the type of moisture level it needs. And on top of that, you've also got a light sensor as part of that little spike that goes in the ground. So it can tell you whether or not you should maybe move it over near the window, try and get a bit more sun coming in. And so if you see amber, you know you've got to fix something. So, oh, what is it? Oh, not enough moisture or some nutrients I need to do or whatever. If you see red, pretty much, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much throw it in the bin and get another one out. You might might have a little bit of a chance of saving, a bit of resuscitation (laughs) on it, but typically get it out, get another one in and try again. But I just think the concept of... Going through and having technology give us some information about our soil. do not go too far wrong. Yeah, that's right. Our soil health, I think, will help dramatically those people who want to bring those plants inside, which sounds like a good thing to do. Mm,
0: That's wonderful. We're going to change the subject a little bit right now. How often do you check the air pressure in your tyres, folks? Have you ever been caught out with a frustrating flat? It's so annoying. Even more frustrating is when you you hit a nail and get a puncture in your tyre, Tire when it's a pretty fresh sort of a tyre from the shop. Well, that should be a thing of the past as airless tyres come close to be, being a common production reality. Airless tyres, Matt. You
1: may remember last year, James, we spoke about the Mars Rover. Yeah, yeah. And the Mars Rover has airless tyres because not a lot of places on Mars you can just call in and get a flat fixed. Mm. And let's face it, not a lot of people on Mars to go and visit to say, please fix the flat on my Mars Rover. And that technology was being applied to bicycles. So you didn't have to worry about fixing tyres. You had bicycles with these little airless tubes on them or airless tyres. We're now going a step further. And this has actually been put together by Michelin and Chevrolet, who have basically come up with the concept that if we get the air pressure right in our EVs all the time, they'll run better, they'll run truer to the claimed number of kilometres. Because when you start to have tyres that, a little bit flat, for example, then obviously a little bit more resistance there. So you right. might claim you get 500 kilometres out of that car, but it's only getting 450 because it's that additional drag, additional resistance from those slightly flatter tyres. Now, you've got the sensors inside the car, sure, and that'll tell you whether you're getting a bit flat in one of the tyres, but that's when it's getting down a, a bit low to be a bit dangerous. It's not telling you if you're down by two or three PSI, for example. Mm. So this idea here of taking that same technology from the Mars Rovers Building it into tyres, the first one that Chevy and Michelin are going to come out with is the Chevrolet Bolt. Now, in Australia, that Chevrolet Bolt used to be the Holden Volt, which I actually own one of those way back in about two thousand and twelve. And that was a (laughs) one of your
0: collection there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's
1: right. That was essentially an EV with a petrol motor, so you got about seventy kilometres of range out of the. EV side of it out of the electric motor and the battery on board and then you got to your 70 kilometre range
0: and then it switched to the petrol
1: yeah that's right and you could keep going for another 400-500 kilometres but they're, they're progressing that the vault you can't buy anymore it will hold in Australia so lots of things have changed that 10 years but the Chevy Bolt which is not being sold at the moment in America will be resold again they're relaunching a new model and obviously it'll be bigger better and badder than the last one but one of the things I think will be the secret to making this more successful is to have airless tires and when you look at these yeah, airless right. tires you see straight through them from side on They've got ribs inside the actual tyre to keep the weight of the car supported, but there's no air in there to keep the weight of the car supported. So it sounds incredible. So they still give, still gives you a softer ride like air in a tyre. It gives as it goes over small bumps and undulations, has good surface area on the ground as it goes over those different undulations, but no air inside
0: the tyre. It's amazing, isn't it? I was having a look at these, and uh, they were saying that um, that there's a mixture of rubber and fiberglass that can be 3D printed on these things too. <laughs> of course. So, so you can get retreads, and so a retread is effectively just reprinting another layer on onto the the tire. They're amazing.
1: It is, and if it's not 3D printed, it's not worth talking about. Is it? So <laughs> if it hasn't got Bluetooth and not 3D printed, then what's what's the value of it?
0: But I think it's amazing because you know you, you know Google tire dumps, and you'll see the amount of wasted. Uh, materials there in, in yeah. tyre dumps right now. It's, it's really unfortunate. It's even worse to see them on fire. That's um, right. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the amount of wastage we go through in, in old tyres. Yeah. And this sets to cut this down enormously.
1: Yeah, that's right. Especially, as you say, you wear out the tread because there'll still be tread on the outside to mm. make sure it can get rid of water on the road and also so it gives grip on the road. And then you just go in and say, just whack another tread on there for me and away I go. And then mm. that the rest of that tyre, supposedly the... Actual structure of it should still be sound. So this is going to be on a Chevy Bolt, but I can see that if this works well, why wouldn't every manufacturer with every car, whether it be petrol or EV, it's going to help fuel economy in a petrol car as well. Mm -hmm. So I can see this being pretty good for our whole economy, whether it be fuel economy or battery economy going forward.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. I did see um, one guy who was um, giving some criticism saying, oh, look, they're not going to be any good for when you're travelling at super high speeds in a racing car, though, Um they're on their way to designing them for racing cars. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll happen, folks, all in good time. There's all sorts of issues with heat distribution. and Apparently, um, the air inside a normal tyre holds on to a bit of heat, which is really important for, you know, you want soft rubber to be able to grip the road really nicely. Yeah. And there's a couple of other energy exchange issues there. But, um Yeah, um, when you're just driving around town and and between towns and whatnot, when you're travelling at 110 kilometres an hour, I think you're going to be okay and you're going to enjoy the difference.
1: And in terms of race cars, not just the 300 k's an hour down the main street, but... It's the the, tight turns. Well, that's right. The turns, that would generate much more heat, I would imagine, than just driving down a straight line. So, yeah, let's face it, we're probably not going to design things for everyday use just because... We're not going to stop designing them for everyday use just because they might work in a race car. But having said that a lot of development happens in the racing industry that then we can apply to the real world. So they may well solve the problem for racing cars, which then will be applied to the real world. Well, they're on it, and they're
0: not far from a solution to it. They're predicting that solution might come as, um, well, maybe as late as 2024. But we're certainly, um, you know, it's all in in our grasp now. Well, I can just
1: picture Max Verstappen. I remember one race last year. He did end up being world champion, of course, but one race where he blew a tyre towards yeah. the end of the race and got out and kicked the tyre <laughs> just as, <laughs> as any frustrated teenager would do. Yeah. He's just lost a race in a Formula 1 world championship race. But you can just imagine someone like that going, if you can give me a tyre that doesn't get a puncher, I'm all for that.
0: And and these ones, oh look, if you've got fancy rims and stuff, you love your mag wheels and all that sort of stuff, that, the difficulty is, is that you get the tyre, you get the the wheel with it. So yeah. they come part and parcel.
1: Well, I think they've got a new term for it, haven't they? They're calling it a tweel. Ah, it's a okay. tyre. Uh, so, uh,
0: and we're all in one so so yeah the, you're not going to be able to necessarily hold on your mags anymore
1: no but give it time we'll come up something fancy that yeah, flashes and <laughs> got right. a chrome on it somewhere of
0: course it's not where the technology ends vr junkies are going to love this next story because believe it or not virtual reality is set to go up another gear we already have motion sensors to detect head movements and alter the picture on the screen accordingly to, to give you that all-immersive experience, but apparently it's not just enough for the purists. They need a little bit more. And, and eye-tracking tech is now set to be added to the mix to enhance the hyper-real experience. Matt, I'm not sure if I'm excited or totally petrified by this.
1: <laughs> playing a game when this, it's tracking your eyes, what a but, cool concept.
0: <laughs> but, but yeah, then we start to blur reality to, between virtual reality and actual reality um, yeah. to, to the point where that's got to mess with your head, surely.
1: Just in a game, I can just imagine that you'll be playing a game and you are trying to take in a lot when you're playing a game and you're looking around in the corners looking for bad guys coming in all sorts of different directions. You can just imagine if the camera angle effectively changed as you moved your eyes, Mm. it'd be a very quick camera angle change to try and keep up with where your eyes were. And it would start to get to the point where it would feel almost a bit giddy because your yeah. camera angle's moving around so much as your eyes are flashing around everywhere. So your head, you kind of get used to the idea of moving your head and that might change the scenery when you're playing something with VR. And you normally keep your head fairly still. If you're just driving a car, for example, your eyes might be scanning the road in front of you, but your head's fairly still. Mm. But yeah, I'm a bit with you. I, I think playing a VR game and having different things change while I move my eyes, you would almost want to get to the stage where you just don't move your eyes because things are moving <laughs> around
0: too quick for you. Only see things in your peripheral vision and don't move those pupils.
1: Yeah. So there are some consumer headsets that are coming out with this concept where they'll have eye tracking and just the technology. I think sometimes people create the technology just because it sounds like a cool thing to do. Hey, what about if we created something where we had tracking of the eyes? Okay, let's go and try that, Jimmy. Who knows whether it's going to be successful or not, but Mm. you just want to do it for the sake of technology. Sometimes then you actually work out better uses of that technology rather than just playing games for example and if you were putting that into say a combat situation maybe you could use your eyes to track where something might be launched towards or all sorts of things there yeah, maybe combat's not a good example of, of a usage of technology but not I, right now but uh yeah yeah I, I can but, but
0: they're, they're, i can think of other applications there's got to be some rehabilitation sort of applications as well i can imagine yeah yeah
1: and even maybe just in a car when you move your eyes and suddenly there's light showing in those different directions Mm. so as you move your eyes around there's you you might be looking out for kangaroos on the side of the road so you you glance to the sides and there's a bit more light put at the sides i just think if we can get the idea of eye tracking working it's got a whole bunch of potentially practical uses at the moment sounds pretty cool for gamers (laughs) (laughs) as long as you don't get too motion sick that's one thing i I am actually thinking because a normal headset you can get motion sick from that but put some eye tracking in there as well i think that'll be really interesting
0: Yes, uh, the future is coming at us in full 3D. Yeah. The next story comes with a heavy sigh as a precursor, folks. Frustrated by the frequent corrections and censorship of the big frame social media giants, Donald Trump is now releasing his own app with the worrying title Truth Social. (sighs) Matt, There is so much to unpack here, and I find it hard not to editorialise. Everyone's got an opinion on this. But what caught your eye was that the app on its release has been riddled with errors and malfunctions. (laughs) Is that just more fodder for the big conspiracy?
1: (laughs) I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they deliberately made it not work at launch, because that would get more people talking about it. But just to name Truth Social, surely even Donald Trump himself... Thinks of some irony in a title of (laughs) truth social. (laughs) But when you go out and you say, every social media app out there is banning me from being on their site.
0: And I'm the only one with the truth. That's right. (laughs) He's said things of that nature. Correct.
1: And so you'd kind of logically, I would anyway go, hmm, should I change my behavior? It's everyone who's out there banning me. Am I getting it wrong? No, yeah. says Donald. They're all getting it wrong.
0: Time to double down again. That's
1: right. And I better create an app that works for me so people can get used to the way I want to work rather than have to work in with, you know, the rest of the society rest kind of, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he's got. to are truth social. You're spot on. When people try to download it, when people try to get it, it was not able to be downloaded. The, their servers couldn't handle the number of download requests. Which
0: Sorry, so it was inundated with people trying to That's to the scary it. part. That's the unfortunate thing. And you it? went onto a
1: waiting list, and one particular article I read said that the wait list number of this particular person was 170,174. Now, I, that, I
0: also read that you uh, the, 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 the uh, follow that with a little precursor saying that um you're more than just a number to us, <laughs> but right. your number is <laughs> 1,074. And,
1: <laughs> and I don't know whether they did what lots of people do. You never start a new business out with invoice number one. You always jump forward a whole bunch. So but someone doesn't think, oh, no, I'm the first invoice I've ever received here. Yeah. So number 170,000, maybe it started at 169,000. Who knows? But it sounded impressive mm. that, wow, there's 170,000 people just on the waiting list. Truth, this must be so popular out it's there. i
0: want you to get a piece of that.
1: Yeah. Now, I do wonder also whether lots of those people who are trying to download it and trying to use it we're just interested, we're just intrigued by mm. it, wanted to bag it out, wanted to tell people how silly it was. I don't know how many of those people really wanted to use it as a new social media app. I mean, surely even mm. Donald Trump supporters would say, an app run by Donald, there's got to be some problems there. But anyway, maybe not. So yeah, there were malfunctions with it as well. If you actually managed to get a copy of it and started using it, it didn't quite work properly. It had errors that would pop up or mm. it would crash on an ongoing basis. But they're just tidying that up because it's just the first beater out there, and we'll keep working on it. They said the the Donald Trump team said, and we'll have it right pretty soon. So hang in there with us, and you'll have the latest copy soon, sir. <laughs> and we'll be right for you.
0: So the worry is for me is that I don't think that the internet has necessarily increased the percentage of crazy people out in the world, but it's certainly done a great job of bringing them together. We'll and see them. No this this, this um, has got a potential to do that in a big way. Hasn't so one of the great
1: geniuses of our time actually made a comment on it. Using Twitter, which I find somewhat yeah, ironic, that so you've got to use a mainstream social media app to talk about a new social media app. But Donald Trump Jr. said, "Time for some truth." Mm, so there, he's deep, deep words. Yep. So that at should last change we things. We can have some truth. That's oh, right.
0: Goodness me. <laughs> oh, well, let's move on to a similar sort of story here. We know that information is power. If you're not sure what I mean, then clearly you've not been paying attention to anything forever. For those people in the Western world screaming about removal of freedom of speech, how's this for an ounce of perspective? The nation of Kazakhstan, just west of Mongolia, had their internet shut down completely after the government became disgruntled with all the current discontent and dissension of their people. They just cut the net out completely. Matt, at this point, I'd like to set out, send out a big, um, Uh, To all our regular Kazakhstan listeners, um, but it seems they're not going to receive it anyway.
1: They're not going to receive it at the moment, no. And this is an interesting thing. It's not pleasant to talk about war and conflict at the moment in particular, but any modern conflict, James, is going to be fought, in my opinion, as much on computers as it is with real weapons. Of course, yeah. So if you can shut down something, silence something, keep people from communicating with each other, Obviously, in past world wars, communication was very important. We knew about Turing out there trying to break some of the codes that mm-hmm. the Germans were communicating with or using to communicate. So if you can just stop people communicating, that cripples organisations, cripples economies. And that's exactly what happened in Almaty. Is it the right pronunciation? Almaty? That sounds right. Yeah. That's how I would pronounce it. Um, so it was a bit of chaos occurring there. And the government was, as you say, trying to limit, trying to filter, trying to monitor what was happening with various apps and various organisations that were out there trying to use some of these apps. And then they threw their hands up in the air and they gave up. I just
0: realised they couldn't control it. They
1: couldn't control it, so they shut it down. They shut down the internet. And you can imagine when you shut down the internet, so many things go along with that. So it might be communication. You and I trying to communicate suddenly stops but then businesses that are doing simple things like trying to sell some of the things online or yeah. even trying to process transactions, they might use, as many places do, their post equivalent type facilities are all connected to the internet. So suddenly you couldn't process transactions. Wow. So everything starts to shut down, your communications, and you just become a little silo. It's just you Goodness in your little may. mind space. So if you're going to fight that modern conflict, if you're going to have a modern war, Someone's going to be sitting there behind a computer in a darkened room saying, I'm just going to shut these ones down and that's going to be it. So that's got a whole bunch of implications for people across the world. And we've known about filtering and centering in various countries around the world. But when you shut down the internet, I, I just can't think about it. I just can't imagine what it would be like.
0: Yeah. Well, like even in North Korea, we know that Kim Jong-un has a state-controlled internet. Um, So the only stuff that can be generated across the internet there is stuff that the government knows about. But that's that's kind of a different thing, having no internet at all. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right.
1: And even in somewhere like North Korea, for example, if you were fighting a battle with North Korea and you've got that government-run internet service, but you managed to shut that down then that does a fair bit to North Mm. Korea. So they might want to control the message. They want to make sure they're letting people see what they want them to see. But when they can't see anything at all, and then people start thinking, if they can't see these positive messages from the government and they see nothing, they might start
0: thinking for themselves.
1: And no government of a dictatorship wants to have that going
0: on. And that's the problem they've had in Kazakhstan. Goodness me. yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's it's quite fascinating. And uh, again, I'm sure as many governments around the world are looking at ways to shut down internet connectivity from another country, those same governments are also working on ways to stop their internet being shut down. So it's a complete process, if you like, of just trying to control those connections around the world. Yet, here we are, we run these huge undersea gables to connect different countries so that we can all talk together in a nice, (laughs) lovely way and sing kumbaya with each other.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, That's just such a foreign concept, um, switching off the internet. But apparently you can do it. Now, Matt, lesson one in business. Who makes the most money in a gold rush? (laughs) Not the people prospecting for gold. (laughs) (laughs) It's the shovel makers, right?
1: Exactly right.
0: Yeah, yeah. See the need, feel the need. And in the era of the electric vehicle gold rush, let's call it, one clever little Aussie company, Tritium, has stepped right away from car building. They'll let Tesla and the friends uh, fight that out. And they've gotten their own little EV version of a shovel manufacture business and are set to make some big bickies. Am I right? And they're going really
1: well around the world, actually. I'm really impressed. And I just want to tell a quick story about that whole thing you talk about, about the shovel maker. Be the shovel maker rather than be the, the prospector. J. Strauss, Brother & Co., was a company that was run by brothers Jonas and Louis Strauss or Strauss, Strauss, Strauss. Strauss. I'd say Strauss, Strauss, Strauss but, Strauss. Okay, but Strauss. that might
0: be the Americans anyway. It could
1: be. <laughs> Strauss with an American twang there. Uh, so in 1847, their younger brother, Levi, travelled across from Germany and joined his older brothers in the business in New York. And that went okay for a little while, but over the other side of the country, 1848, there was some gold discovered. James Marshall in California discovered some gold. 300,000 people descended mm. on California. That's it. All seeking to find their there There's witches. gold in
0: them, their hills. <laughs>
1: exactly right. Levi decided that his two big brothers, he could leave them in New York. I'm going to go across to California because this gold rusting sounds pretty good. But oh, he I know was where this is going. Yeah, he was a bit smarter than that. He went across to California and he did exactly as you said. He started. He used what they used to do in New York and started basically selling dry goods, shovels, everything that gold prospectors wanted.
0: Perhaps clothing as well. That's is clothing, that where we're going? That's exactly to? Right, where okay, we're going. Right, yeah, right, well done. Know. Well spotted.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, in amongst all of that, a guy approached Levi Strauss and said. I've got this concept for jeans where I'm going to rivet the corners of the pockets because that's where they rip normally. Yeah, of course. I'm going to use a copper rivet on those to make them stronger. So together with Levi Strauss and this other gentleman whose name I don't know, they got together, put a patent through and then started manufacturing working-class jeans. Working-class jeans sold US $5.7 billion worth of those jeans last year. Mm. Of course, the Levi jeans are now synonymous with a whole bunch of... Rocking people, uh, you know, rock and right. roll, and hard course, workers.
0: Of course, you've got less material in them now as well because you're cutting the knees out of them and slashing the legs to bits. and <laughs> right.
1: They should be discounted for that, shouldn't they? But they seem to be more expensive
0: for all of that. <laughs> no pop rivets in the legs there, but yeah. Yeah, no,
1: that's right. So that's the sort of thing that we're talking about here, that if you can provide what people need out there, you don't have to be after what they're after. You can just provide the tools to get there. In
0: fact, that's the trick is to, oh. to think outside the box and think what else can add to this.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So here we are. We've got lots of car companies. We've talked about one at the beginning of this show. We've talked about Tesla, a whole bunch of car companies, trying to come up with better batteries and better cars. And there's a lot of work in doing all of that. Mm. And then you've got other companies trying to produce the energy. And you've got even companies like Shell and BP, I know, are now in the renewable energy game trying to Mm. work out ways that they can replace the oil as it goes forward into the future. But lots of companies saying, we're going to build wind turbines and solar panels and good old tritium. And it's an Australian company, and people have been calling it this overnight success story. It started back in 1999 when three guys had just finished university or in, in the finishing stages of university, and they actually were involved in some of the solar cars. So they were helping oh, yeah. build, you know, as universities do, they kind of entered some of those cars in there. So they had a solar car racer that they were involved with that came third in the World Solar Challenge, and, and that was back in 1999. In 2001, they went, oh, you know what? I think we should start a business together, three of us. Young university graduates, what could go wrong? Possibly. We can go and do what we love. So they started manufacturing components for electric cars, for these world solar challenges, and all sorts of things. And that was going along okay. And then in 2012, they were approached, and someone said, We're having trouble getting some good charging material, a good charging infrastructure. Do you reckon you could design something along those lines? They went, sure, we charge electric cars all the time. Why not? So they started building AC to DC fast chargers for one particular company and then another one and then another one. And before you know it, they've now got in Australia and New Zealand a 75% market share, across Europe 20% market share, in the US 16% market share, they've installed 6,700 chargers across 41 different countries so that whole thing about all these different companies out there trying to get involved in the whole EV game mm. these guys are doing it but it doesn't matter what car you've got it doesn't matter how you produce the energy that's right you need some way to get the energy to the car have we, we
0: ha- uh, do we have standardized ch- uh, like um, fittings right now so a few uh, yeah right okay <laughs> there's a there's a couple of selections so maybe Tritium's going to be behind hopefully, revolutionising this and, and just standardising those those connection points.
1: Well, I think the standardisation will be really the car manufacturers saying, hey, why don't we all use... CCS2 seems to be the most common one out there. Right. But there's still a few other standards out there that car manufacturers have played around with. But CCS2, so maybe I think... there'll be adapters or whatever. There are adapters out there as well. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, in my personal opinion, is that CCS2 will be probably where it will go for car manufacturers in general. And then once the car manufacturers have got that, so you still need a device that takes the AC converts it to DC DC. because most of those cars want to charge in DC and they can do faster charging when they're doing DC charging. So that's where this specialty is, that's where the niche is for tritium, is that they are building the little boxes you see, the little blue boxes when you go to an NRMA charger for example, that's a tritium device. So it's obviously got AC that's being fed to it from the grid, but the car wants DC. So that's what they're building and they're doing a really good job of making that. A, efficient, B, cost-effective is what any manufacturer out there wants to be able to do so that someone comes along and says, we want your product because it's it's good, it works well, and it's also quite cost-effective to actually use. But you had even Joe Biden, he was talking to reporters just a couple of weeks ago and he had the Australian CEO of Tritium there standing beside him to say, this is the company we're going to be used to be putting in lots of charging infrastructure around America. Awesome. So, Yeah, it's going awesome. fantastically for Tritium, but it's great to see – Australian innovation, because sometimes yeah. we see Australian innovation and we don't see the companies stay here or get stolen, stolen in inverted commas, by overseas companies, probably stolen by well, buying a patent yeah. or buying some copyrighted material, but it's good to see Aussie still involved in this and building this charging infrastructure for the world.
0: Amazing. Go you guys at Tritium, there's all I can say. Now we're going to shine a little light on some road safety now. Rules have changed, particularly in the US, and the way has been cleared for smart adaptive headlights. Matt, the days of copying a high beam at short range straight to the retina are on the way out, I hope, Um, but it's even more than that, isn't it?
1: It is a lot more than that. Adaptive headlights have been in cars for some time. I've driven cars with adaptive headlights years ago. And so that's fantastic, but for some reason, some old, old legislation in the US Ah. said that US cars couldn't have adaptive headlights. Now, adaptive headlights are the ones that do turn around corners, for example, as you turn the steering wheel, or as we talked about a while ago, maybe one day when you move your eyes in a certain direction, the lights in your car start going there. But even though cars were coming out with this across Europe, across Australia, in America, they had to have that... i assume they still had the technology built into them, but they had to have that disabled in America because legislation said you can't have headlights moving around. In fact, I probably think it's the opposite of that. I don't think legislation said you can't have headlights move around. The legislation probably made no mention of the ability to have headlights that move around. So it didn't have any mm. enabling technology or enabling legislation there to enable that technology. So finally, big news here is that finally they've changed the legislation in the US. So now... American cars can come out with adaptive headlights. Now, that will also be, as you talk about, high beam, low beam, automatic high and low beam, moving around corners. But the exciting part here is that America, or Americans, love their cars. If you get to the point where you've got this technology enabled on American cars, manufacturers around the world, including American manufacturers, will start to say, we want more of these things. So it will get better and better, in my opinion. And be
0: a standard, and yeah.
1: That's exactly right, be a standard. And even just the high beam of driven cars with adaptive or uh, automatic high beam and it still doesn't seem to get it quite right. You'll see signs in front of you sometimes. You get a bit of reflection from the sign and lo and Mm. behold, the lights go down dim and you're, damn silly, uh, automatic headlights. And then you see someone driving towards you and their lights mightn't be that bright, and it leaves the high for a longer. They start mm. flashing you, saying, what are you doing? And we'll leave your lights on a bit longer so that my lights get triggered to know to turn my lights <laughs> down, yeah. and that'll work for both of us. But no, it's not quite right. So there's a bit of work to be done there, but I think it doesn't sound like much in the way of news to say, well, in America, it's now legal for those cars, but I think once we see it there, we'll see more development, and that's the exciting part.
0: Very exciting, and what's this space. The list of excuses for not getting solar panels is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And for those organisations who need larger scale arrays, the list should be reduced by yet another one very shortly. Matt, land space is an issue, so we could potentially start looking at large bodies of water, I hear. Absolutely
1: right. So you think about large lakes, large dams, rivers not really practical because they're kind of flowing along, so they don't want to put the solar panel in here and then go and collect it from our neighbours. Yeah, have to have it more fairly stream. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But the, the really exciting part about it is you might think, well, what do I want to put it on water for? Why don't I use land? A, yes, land is obviously scarce sometimes. And you might take good farming land and convert it into solar panels. And you mm. think, well, i still got to grow my crops or grow sheep and grow cattle. What am I going to do now? Because all that land has been taken up by solar panels. So we still need food. So maybe sometimes people don't want to take that land and convert it to solar panels. See, on top of water, well, the water is sitting there in storage, presumably for something. So that sounds like a good idea. But then they get a couple of extra benefits out of it. For a start, water evaporates. Mm. So you've got water sitting there in a dam on your farm, for example. Well, that water evaporates. So you're losing some of that water. Put solar panels over the top. Less and evaporation. Less
0: surface area, and there exactly we come right, back to yeah. surface area. <laughs> That's
1: exactly right. We can't go and show without mentioning <laughs> surface area. And then it gets even better. You still will get a little bit of evaporation, obviously, but that bit of evaporation has a cooling effect, obviously, mm. and then that keeps the solar panels just slightly cooler. And the crazy part about solar panels is they want sun, but they don't want heat. heat yeah. So they work better at a cooler temperature. So if you have them on water, get that slight bit of evaporation – you can get about 15% more power. Oh, so they're more efficient. More efficient, exactly right, than when you sit them on the roof. And I know I go and look at my solar panels sometimes when you know, I'm bored on a Sunday afternoon. What else am I going to do? i go and look at my generation and see what's <laughs> happening there. And it gives me readouts of my solar production and the temperature. And I've looked at that from time to time. And you can see the difference there where it might be three or four in the afternoon where you haven't got quite as much sun hitting the solar panels, but you're actually producing more than you did at midday because yeah, the heat's right. a little bit less. So, yeah, okay. you know, a slightly windy day, that helps a bit. Nice cooling breeze coming through, sun beating down, that's obviously better. Sitting on water does exactly that. Now, putting it on the ocean sounds like a great thing, but mostly the way they do them at the moment doesn't really work on the ocean because it's just too rough. Yeah,
0: right. They need to be it's relatively... Too much
1: movement. St- too much moving, that's right. They need to be relatively stable. They put them on flotation devices. They moor them either with weights or sometimes they might tie them off to the bank. So it is designed for something like a a dam or a lake rather than the ocean. But give it time. You may well find that you look out across from the coast, you'll see these wind turbines out there, you'll see solar panels floating (laughs) there, and that'll be the production of all the power we need.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's amazing. Now, Matt, a little while ago, we did a bit of a plug for the good people at Crestron who were stepping up the game with their video conferencing hardware. They're now developing a new smart way to light your home with circadian rhythm capable LED lighting. What's all this about?
1: Does that sound pretty cool? It does.
0: (laughs) It's a bit of a mouthful to say. It is, but it rolled off the tongue nicely, and and it does sound pretty cool. (laughs) And does it chirp?
1: (laughs) It may well do. Who knows? When we're inside, we aren't even exposed to the sun, obviously. And we know that there's different amounts of light that hit us during the day, and we know we've got circadian rhythms but we probably get those a bit out of sync when we're inside. And lots of people, again, I think a lot of technology has been driven by the fact we've been inside a lot more over the last two years than ever before. So what Crestron have done is they've come up with lighting that actually has a sensor somewhere on the outside of your apartment block, your unit, your house, whatever it might be. And then the LED lighting, so you have normal LED lights in your ceiling than the way you normally would, but the LED lighting actually adjusts its intensity and actually adjusts the level of light based on the outside light to try and make sure your circadian rhythm stays in sync as if you were being exposed to the outside light. So it tries to mimic what's happening on the outside of the world or outside of the house to what's happening inside of the house.
0: That's very cool. So it
1: keeps things in that standard sort of rhythm. So it shouldn't be a great shock to the system when you're finally, if you've been in isolation for seven days, for example, locked away in a motel room or a unit or apartment, it shouldn't be a huge shock to the system when you suddenly go outside and there's a whole different rhythm going on and your body gets all confused. So it's, again, just some of this smart home technology that we're seeing, taking all these things and how can we mimic what's happening in nature in the real world technology world that we live in and so many things we talk about, don't we, where we take nature we go, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Why don't we go and do that? Yeah. The sun. Oh, look at that. Different wavelengths, different times of the day, different amounts of, say, a blue light, for example, all sorts of different things that change with the sun. Oh, why don't we try and mimic that inside the house? I know the simple solution might be to go outside the house, but that's not always practical (laughs) for
0: people. I can see this taking off in Alaska with their six-month winters, yeah? Well, you exactly Six-month night, sorry, six-month night time.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and even in, uh, they haven't actually talked about this, but I know when I was going to, uh, I was doing some talks in Eindhoven once and I was driving along in a car with a couple of guys there and they were telling me about the crazy cows. And of course, in Australia, we don't get, the winters that have got extremely long nights and then summers reverse, we get a few hours different, obviously in our mm. summertime day length compared to our wintertime day length. But they are talking about crazy cows. And I thought they were having a lend of me to begin with, but I went and researched it afterwards and they are actually being quite nice and informative to me where during winter they find that the cows just aren't getting enough sunlight. So they do start going crazy. They do start spinning around yeah, in circles right. and running to each other and all sorts of crazy things because they just aren't getting enough sunlight. So, I can imagine that you might actually install this sort of lighting
0: in, in a barn,
1: shop. for example, to yeah. try and get your cows into that same sort of rhythm and be used to that same sort of sunlight getting into some sort of regular rhythm. Now, I have no idea whether that's absolutely possible or not. The research about it was all about humans there, but yeah, right. I can see the practicality of doing that and looking after our cows as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I can imagine... You know, it's, it's a nice way of winding down the evening. The, the light might get a bit dimmer um, to, to allow you just to prepare yourself for sleepy time. Yeah. So I can see that I would probably need that. <laughs> <laughs> Stop staring at my phone screen. Perhaps, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and on that note, I can feel my own circadian rhythms kicking in. Must be time for my afternoon nap. I guess you're off to source some airless tyres, Matt?
1: Well, I like the idea of that, but I'm going to have another go with plants. I reckon I've got yeah. some technology now, so those plants, I apologise to all those plants that I've killed Invite in the past. the
0: greenery into the house.
1: I might do a bit of that and just put a bit of technology in there to see if I go a little bit
0: better. Jolly good show this week, old boy. Another cracking episode of Tech Talk. I've been your host, James Eddy, and we look forward to your company again next week.